You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist. Welcome to episode number 286 of the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. My name is Alex and I'll be your host. In this episode, I'm joined by Anthony Tyler, author of the Dive Manual, Empirical Investigations of Mysticism. Recently, we did an episode about serial killers, episode 283. And this time we will continue the theme by going more into cults. So thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me on once again. Um, the last uh, conversation we had about serial killers and whatnot, um, there are, I, I definitely felt like uh, there was at least, uh, yeah, you don't want to beat a dead horse, like no morbid pun intended here, but uh, there, there's definitely one more episode worth doing because uh, cults and serial killers, um, um, I'm not... I, I can't remember if we brought up the specific term in the last episode or not, but I know we came to the conclusion uh, that uh, they're essentially like existential griefers, um, serial killers, and cult leaders are exactly the same. These people are uh, uh, two sides of this same bizarre uh, like inversion of alchemy that we talked about um, last time, where the serial killer is going around – in, um, inflicting uh, like repressed trauma, essentially to uh, to not mince words. Uh, the 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 cult leaders doing the same thing, it, it, just instead of uh, directly going around and killing people, um, it's more of this um, esoteric political idea of total domination and control and. Um, you know, I guess we'll, uh, it's, it's interesting to start out, um, by talking a little bit about the idea of the cult and, um, f like first off that cult is often associated, um, especially in the West with the idea of like Satanism and, um, a while that, that, that kind of stuff is around and I, uh, we'll definitely get into it a little bit in this episode, but, um. Uh, it's important to point out that a lot of that idea is uh, satanic panic influenced. Um, but the reason that uh, satanic panic became uh, blown into the hype that it was and has kind of resurged as is because of kernels of truth where there's some really morbid cult uh, like sacrifice and activity out there. Uh, but the, the, the curious thing, one of many curious things is, uh, that most cults in the West, um, even the ones that do the really wild stuff, like even, you know, human sacrifice or whatever, um, they are, um, way more often Christian than, um, uh, a Satanist. Uh, so it, which really speaks to, in my opinion, the, uh, the Gnostic idea of the Demiurge, uh, this idea that most of these cult leaders, uh, like, uh, you know, just a, the quick ones off the top of my head, you know, Jim Jones and Manson for sure. Uh, not to mention, uh, I, I mean, I, I the, like pretty much, and th there are so many cults that, uh, basically if a cult in the West incorporates Christianity into it, you can damn well bet 
that it's because they are, whether they're uh, doing this intentionally or not, uh, it's because they are trying to, mm, it's the best way to put it, uh, utilize the the wrathful, uh, like demiurgic uh, quality of Yahweh. Because what they do is they start talking about how they have this like special prophetic relationship with God. And then uh, always uh, by the end of it, they are the direct conduit for God to the point where they become God and they become, they, uh, uh, they, they embody that demiurge through and through. Like it is the classic archetypal demiurge. And, uh, it's, uh, so, uh, that's, uh, you know, there's food for thought there because, uh, there's a lot of different places you could take that initial idea, but I think that's a good opening point. Um, because cult leaders are very fascinating in a bad way. <laughs> but it's almost like cults uh, that appear these days or in the last 50 years. It's just like non-canon religions, like uh, non-sanctioned religions. Because the religions that have been accepted, uh, they are the same in a sense. that uh, the, the Like the Pope, for instance, he's the... You know, he's the go- he's God's right hand man. You know, one hundred percent. Yeah, and um, there's a really big uh, uh, starting out point as well. Is that the idea of a cult? If you really, really want to get um, like ontological with it, you know, like trace it to uh, like Occam's razor, get the clearest uh, definition that you can, essentially. Uh, it the occult. I mean, it's hard to do. It's hard to get that definition uh, because there's a, an inherent subjectivity to it. There are certain objective qualities, but even those qual- objective qualities immediately become um, subjective. And I'll explain that further. Um, like we talked about good and evil a bit last time, and how that was. Um, a subjective collective agreement that was kind of based off of more uh, a prim- primordial uh, like laws of nature and um, evolutionary pressures. And the cult uh, versus the collective is kind of the same thing in that whereas um, um, the only the only uh, saving grace you could really argue at all, honestly, um, from the way I see it, the uh, the only saving grace for a religion uh, between a cult is that, generally speaking, uh, religions um, tend to be more uh, at adaptive to the collective, and that 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 uh, that's can be taken in some very bad ways as well because it's very religions are very brutal in some sense, and I mean you look at all the wars and and everything that it's caused. But when you, when you look at the evolutionary scale and how humans have adapted there, there is something to be said for the efficacy of certain religions, uh, in their ability to help, um, more ancient humans, uh, conceptualize their survival, you could say, whereas a cult is often more focused on, uh, this weird, uh, like magnifying glass uh, microcosmic society that is often focused on things that are so like sadistic and um um like left hand path 
type stuff essentially uh but in like the most black magic kind of way um it uh it becomes like let me put it this way if those kinds of cults like children of god nexium uh manson family or jim jones etc if those cults had won out as the uh, as a religion like uh, christianity has um we probably we wouldn't have survived for nearly as long but that uh that being said and i do some people would probably uh disagree with that but um and i would say that you could say that maybe it's close uh, because uh, christianity has done the abrahamic religions in general have done some uh horrific things so i'm not trying to go to bat for them too hard here but i think that it has equaled out a little bit better i mean you could get into the whole vatican conspiracy i'm just saying in general like pound for pound like you look at the average christian there's a lot of, of um uh a lot of them duped out there but um a lot of uh i mean you know there's the morals and ethics and things and a lot of uh sure there's some inherent like racism and things in uh uh, like archaic Christian Abrahamic texts, but uh, aside from the radical, the average person, I mean, like, yeah, like we have to think about the average person as opposed to the radical. And um, that's where when these big, big theme religions become radicalized, that's where they slip directly into cult territory again. And also for the record, uh, it is important, I feel like, to mention that um, all cults, um, have re- religious qualities to quasi religious qualities and all religions have like quasi cult qualities. It's a, it's a bit of a Venn diagram. And, um, I think that the ratios are a bit telling. Um, like I, I think that, um, while you could say like, uh, I'll say this to put a cap on it. And then I'd like to hear your thoughts a little bit. Um, I uh, I think that the only thing that separates Christianity from just a cult run amok today, I mean, it essentially is, um, uh, and I don't mean to be too divisive in my uh, my olive branch there is because I was raised Christian. Uh, I'm not anymore, um, but I have I have an appreciation for the esoteric quality of it and how it uh, and it originally uh, when you read it outside of the very exoteric simplistic. Um, boilerplate like uh, definitions that that they talk about uh, today, and you look at it in the comparative religious um, st- from the comparative religious standpoint, etc. Uh, and you look at it with the the alchemical motifs that the average Christian doesn't really take into account. Um, it definitely has its value in the context of comparative religion, and I and I do think that. Uh, I will at least go to bat for the Abrahamic religions about that. When you take them in the right way in the overall context, they have their use, but they've become what they've become today is essentially a cult run amok. Don't you think uh, many cults become bad because they become marginalized because they're not accepted and they're looked at as weird? So that's why they become uh, more secretive or like closed doors and and within that situation you know the leader realizes the power and you know it corrupts instantly and uh, usually turns into some sort of harem with the girls usually it's very common 
but maybe if they got accepted maybe they would just have evolved into more like a sect which is not as negative uh, a sect is more like a, it's like a i mean you have christian sects but they're not cults but it's just different uh, perspective of christianity like a different angle like gnosticism i guess it's considered a sect more than a cult right um very good point and i would agree i think that that is definitely um a point a, a piece to the the perspectives here and uh but i would also say that just to add to the uh the nuance of it all that sometimes cult leaders um are actually they have like a martyr complex and they're actually interested in eliciting uh responses they're trying to get marginalized to the point where they are deemed radicals um and so that they can get that kind of um uh david koresh style uh martyrdom in their own eyes like regardless of how anyone else in the world sees them to the people who died at Waco. Um, it, it was definitely a martyrdom and, um, Koresh, um, it, you know, we could talk about that since we're talking about cults a little bit. That's a tricky one because, uh, it seems like the, uh, that everyone in Waco got done dirty. Uh, it really does. But, uh, also it's really hard to say, um, uh, honestly, it seems more than likely that David Koresh probably was uh, having relations with like young teenage girls, if not maybe even a little younger in like one case, I believe. But also we know that the government will definitely use that stuff to smear people like I don't buy for one second for a, a different example, the um, Julian Assange uh, sexual allegations. Um, um so I think that that is definitely some smear shit happening. So I don't I, I don't think that that necessarily happened with David Koresh. I'm not trying to go to bat for him. I'm just saying that does happen. Um, so and and either way, um, regardless of whether or not Waco was good or bad, they definitely got did really dirty by the government. And he, the Heaven's Gate cult with Marshall Applewhite, the ones with the Adidas that got, uh, killed themselves to go up to the UFO, um, he was trying to uh, elicit a response from the government. And they just weren't radical enough. The government did not care. <laughs> so he tried something else. I mean, most people think that, oh, I would never be tricked into joining a cult or be believe a cult leader. But uh, I, when I lived in the in Oklahoma many years ago, I had a, the guy in the family I was living with, he attended a... Uh, like kind of like a revival church or something like that, like where you go every Sunday and there's like 2,000 people and there it's like watching a, a Super Bowl show or something. It's like music and it's it's quite spectacular. And I at that time, I was like a hardcore atheist. So I went in there just to see what it was like and I wanted to see what... Uh, idiotic things they were brainwashing my friend with and uh, I I, I never forget this I had to resist with all my being not to be wrapped up into it and you know I I, I walked into it thinking this is like brainwashing cult idiocy 
and still I had to concentrate. I mean, I had to like, I actually had, I was telling myself secretly, quietly, you know, like, fuck off, you know, you know, go away. Because they were like, because they saw I was a newcomer. So they surrounded me and they're like, oh, it's okay to cry, expose your sins. We will forgive you. Like they were doing all this kind of thing. And I was only like 16. So I had to really concentrate not to like, uh, I found it very difficult. And then when we went home in the car, he asked me what I thought about it. And I just said like, well, it doesn't matter. Like you're in deep into this rabbit hole. It doesn't matter what I say. If I almost got wrapped up in it, you've been going here for years, you know? (laughs) So I understand how easy it could be to get, uh, I mean, if you have any sort of weakness, like a divorce or something like that, something happens and then you stumble into one of those cults. I mean, it's very easy because they're very, they welcome you, you know? I mean, the place I went wasn't really a cult, but it had cultish techniques, you know? (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, I have a, a quick uh, well, like personal story as well. And um, because, you know, the, the biggest problem with something like Christianity, for example, is um, the the manipulation uh, w- that comes with numbers and organization. You know, the, it's easy for the, the the needle to hide in the haystack, so to speak. And um, um, it it's also not all organization is bad because I mean, just you and I, uh, having correspondence and we have similar ideas and we meet up to talk about it. I, there's a type of organization there, but it's obviously a bit uh, much different. And, um, so, but this like this hive mindish kind of thing, like I, for a period of time was born in Georgia, raised in Alaska here in California now. And, um, I went uh, for a period of time a few years ago back to Georgia for some months because I had uh, a lot of family there I hadn't seen in a while. And so I was uh, – on some of those occasions, I went to church with my mother who is kind of like like a Protestant that bounces – like it usually leans like Methodist-ish um, – so kind of fire and brimstone-ish. And um, I would just go to uh, church with her um, just to be nice and um, be open, not to being converted uh, just because – not because I'm like vehemently against it, but it just – that doesn't work for me. Like I'm not open to conversion. That's not how my brain operates. Um, and um, I've the, – I always the, – like the first half of it, was not like uh like edge of my seat material but i could at least i could appreciate it for what it was because they were basically you know they would just go through scripture and they would just talk about scripture and i mean it's pretty much my bag i like comparative religion and mythology we could talk about scripture um i have read uh several books in the bible anyway and uh but then it's always that last half or last third where they take it to their they uh specific takeaways and it's always just huge leaps that um um always were just um garbage in my opinion it, and it didn't even really equate to what they had just gone over and then the the bigger point being that uh at this one church I went to uh with my mother 
um, I didn't like the whole theatrics of it. It seemed really because uh, it it was one of those like new agey kind of churches where they would like they had like a screen in the background and they would like do rock and roll and like it's just, just too on the nose for me, man. If I'm gonna go to church, I want like an organ and I want it to be done up a little more classically. But uh, these people, and this is what really was like this is borderline cult right here, uh, as far as I'm concerned, is the um the pastor and his family. Went, ended up going, uh, you know, you're so you're supposed to tithe, even as a Protestant, you're supposed to tithe 10% of all your income. Um, uh, because the idea is as long as you give back, then, um, like, you know, it's like a, it's just like a basic reciprocity thing. Uh, but the problem is the pastors and these people, obviously they don't even always put it into the church. It's not like it's just even going into the church for ornate, unnecessary reasons. They're using it for their personal life, even when they're not televangelists, even when they're just regular local pastors. Too many of them do this, where they'll go on exotic vacations with their families, like all expenses paid from the church for like six months, and they'll just write it off as missionary work. And they'll do five, ten percent of it, a, a little bit of missionary work, and the rest is just fuck off. And... Their whole community is paying for it. So you really when you're talking about cult to religion ratios, that is like if that's still a religion, I'm sorry, but that's like 51 percent religion, 49 percent cult. That's fucking weird. So I don't know. That's why I'm just inherently against religion um, organized. I like tradition, but I don't like dogma. And uh, that type of organization tends to in uh accentuate dogma and it's the same thing with new age you talk about new age um there's so much new age cult action going on like you look at jay-z knight with her uh supposed channeling and washington of the ten thousand year old spirit ramtha and how many people she's got around her um you look at people like teal swan i believe she's in canada um just full of garbage. Um, the only thing that separates uh, people like that from people like um, um, Jim Jones is the fact that they haven't actually committed any murders yet. But even in the case of like Teal Swan, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with her, but very new agey. Um, and she got in trouble for um, advocating suicide. They're just talking about how like basically saying in a in a philosophical way that um, if you feel like committing suicide, you should do it. And that's super dangerous because, uh, I mean, sure, euthanasia is a bit of a different argument. Um, um, I think that's the right term, right? Where like assisted suicide, like I'm not saying that's completely off the table, but when you're just generally speaking advocating for any person to follow their inclination to commit suicide, that is different and that's sketchy and not – so she probably has bodies on her hands anyway, uh, not something that you could take her to court for, but it's still people are very dangerous with their half-baked uh, ideologies. That's also bad for business if she counts on donations. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Um, so, and then there's um, with the threshold of like modern new age cults and the more classical uh like drink the Kool-Aid style cult, there's this really interesting case that um, is not often talked about. And I, they were from Canada. And, you know, I'm not like an expert 
on them. We'll, we'll touch on them just like a little bit um, uh, with some other ones that I want to bring out for fun. But um, is the the order of the the solar temple, and it um, it had to do. It was basically a modern cult that was based on the mystery rites, um, where they they took a, a, everything that you would hear, um, just the the general, not pound for pound, but the general alchemical mystery sentiment that you would hear on this podcast or you know over on Martin's podcast, the alchemical mind and um, uh, et cetera, and took it to really like Jim Jones style uh, specifics and uh, they ended up getting uh, they're like super into astrology and um, and 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 then they started getting into the sexual aspects of it uh, like incorporating like Crowley Thelema type stuff and uh, crossing over into that like Nexium children of God kind of territory and then um, it got to the point where they uh uh, something, something happened and there was like a pregnancy with the cult leaders. Cause there's two cult leaders, um, that they did not want to happen. And in there, I think, I, I think it's debatable. Uh, but I'm, I think that they, even the cult leaders were kind of wrapped up in this a little bit. They knew that they were stringing people along, but they thought that they were special. Um, whereas some cult leaders, are just purely stringing people along it seems um and so with this pregnancy they got wrapped up into thinking that this this was the antichrist and um like rosemary's baby style except they needed to kill it and so they ended up killing people and that's how they uh that's how they bridged the gap from just a really weird disturbing uh new age cult into classic horror movie cult territory so that's an interesting one and that's a great uh, classic example of why it's good to be skeptical of even new age just because something is not a regular religion doesn't mean that it's uh less dangerous because that thing was just a new age weirdo thing they had going on for like what like at least a decade i'm i'm pretty sure of quite a bit longer than that um and then it just took that like just, just a straw that breaks the camel's back and then uh, and then things go really even like legally awry to the point where you become infamous. Um, How come uh, Freemasonry is not considered a cult? Is it because it doesn't really have a uh, one leader? Yeah, it's the same thing. It The same thing that we've been talking about with Christianity in my eyes can pretty much be applied to Freemasonry. And that's... Uh, and in a similar way, uh, which is a little bit paradoxical, I guess, because they're a little bit opposed in a lot of people's eyes, um, even though they shouldn't necessarily be. But um, Freemasonry and Christianity, I do appreciate them both uh, for their contribution to tradition and comparative religion slash philosophy. But when it gets too organized, that's when it gets... Um, a bit more insidious and but the thing the only saving grace with christianity as well as something like freemasonry is they uh um while there's this certain umbrella of um uh dogma um you could uh it's a it's specific with each church or lodge uh each church or lodge is run under the same umbrella, but independently. So there is, and that's why 
there's this wide variety. You have some Freemasons that don't focus on the esoteric at all. They're just more um, charity organizations and local fundraisers and things. And then you have some that will do that. And then they'll also have their classical like uh, classes and lectures. And they'll go over Manly P. Hall and Albert Pike and these things. And it it, it, it it varies widely. And then when you, so when you get up to the upper echelons of society, you see things like, while I am like, again, I appreciate the basic tradition of Freemasonry. Um, is it, I mean, historically it, it promoted science in a time of dogma. Um, things like the skull and bone society at Yale, where so many, um, like 0.1 percenters have gone through, including politicians, like that stuff is, seems pretty nefarious to me so again it just it really just depends but um i would say at at some point uh sometimes freemasonry is essentially a cult sometimes but there are many cults that are not respectable well kind of respectable religions so you have like the jehovah's witness the mormons and i guess scientology also they're all classified as religions and uh I think maybe the Mormons are the most gentle of those. Although I know a guy who was a Mormon and he left and uh, it did mess with his head. But there was no like, not what I've heard people who've left the other two have had to go through. So it was the easiest one to leave. But it was still like, uh, it's still a cult in a way. But he told me that if you ever get Mormons to knock on your door, and they always they always ask if they can help you with something. Just tell them you need help cleaning the house because they they will never say no. <laughs> that is funny. They're not they're not allowed to say no. Um, that <laughs> is uh, yeah, and that is a really really good point, uh, and really speaks to the while there is a collective. Uh, survival sort of agreement that uh, again we talked about. Um, that separates cults and religions a little bit. It's still so subjective uh, because um, it would appear, I mean, I guess to make this as simple, but to account for as much nuance as possible, it would appear that things like Scientology, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormonism have, we've witnessed uh, within this, not like every one of us literally because it's been longer than our lifetimes, but generally we've witnessed the formation of these things in the modern era from cults to sects to full-blown religions uh, for better and worse. I mean, for basically worse uh, as far as I'm concerned entirely with Scientology. And uh, I don't advocate Mormonism or Jehovah's Witnesses either uh, for the things that we've just talked about essentially. But and this is another good point to bring up in the whole grand scheme of this conversation. Even if I don't trust the organizations, um, I have to say that I'm not against, and I mean it, I'm not against any particular individual because I've definitely met plenty of Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses that are really stand-up people, um, even if they have some interesting ideas. Um, and then I'm sure I haven't really met any Scientologists because I don't friggin' hang out in LA. <laughs> um, but, uh, they make good action movies. <laughs> yeah. Right. Actually, I take that back. Uh, so very brief, uh, fun anecdote. When I was younger, um, 
and doing the journalism a bit and just like growing weed uh, to pay some bills. I was also uh, during the uh, winter, I picked up a small part time job at a, a gift shop in Alaska. And uh, it was a f- like just a few it was a small branch. There's a few of them. And they're in like the big hotels or in Anchorage. And uh, um it was just dead as hell. It was so boring. It was the most boring job I ever did. And no one was coming in to buy anything except candy bars. And I did like my business with like four people in eight hours usually. And uh, the I eventually figured out it was run by uh, Scientologists. And it was like some of the only prominent Scientologists. So these were like basically like the head honchos, like uh, family, the outlet for the Church of Scientology because – they had enough money to establish the only churches of Scientology in uh, in Alaska, and I was like, "Ooh, wow, that's weird." Um, so, just uh, yeah. So I've met them, and the thing is, while they come across very cult-like to me, they have that like weird, clear look to them with their smiley and glossy eyes. <laughs> I swear, even when you see them, like someone like Tom Cruise or Travolta on TV or whatever, um, they don't. Uh, it seem evil. Um, I mean, I hear Tom Cruise is one of the few celebrities that will actually stop for people uh, when they're having car trouble on the side of the road. And granted, he just uses that as a way to proselytize about Scientology. But I, I mean, I guess he's still stopping. So, um, but again, I, that's uh, that doesn't speak to. I think Scientology should be wiped off the map. Um, I think it's insidious. Um, and L. Ron Hubbard was a pure schlub um um and you want to talk about um the history of cults a little bit and stuff let's get into some like interesting uh thread tying here uh because hold that thought i just want to quickly mention i also have a, have i also have a scientology story they you know they stand on the street and they they can take your reading with this machine i don't know what it's called it uh, measures your level of stress. Anyway, I was working with this French guy, and this French guy, I've never seen anybody smoke so much weed as he did. He smoked the strongest weed constantly, 24-7. Anyway, they, they stopped us on the street, and they told him to... And he was always like... He smoked so much that he was always like lost in a haze. He wasn't really there, so... They they told him to hold on to these rods to measure his level of stress. And it was quite funny because when they were looking at the instrument, they both looked confused. And then they said, we don't understand it. There's no reading, you know. <laughs> but that made me think that, oh, it's not a fake machine. You know, they do measure something because uh, otherwise, you know, because they could have said, oh, you have this much stress. But they actually noticed that this high person didn't have any stress whatsoever, you know. <laughs> That is pretty funny. And yeah, I've, I don't know the specifics, but I've come to similar conclusions where like it's a machine that does something. Um, and it's, if anything, it probably seems to be some half baked version of like a polygraph because of, you know, polygraph being the lie detector, but, and it can help detect lies, but it lie detector is a bit of a misnomer. It's more like, uh, um, like a module that, um, can, uh, record and monitor your stress levels in a, like several different ways and through aggregating your stress levels it's a lot easier to tell whether or not you're lying but it doesn't necessarily mean uh, it's a lie detector because innocent people fail polygraphs because they're just 
really nervous and stuff like that happens. So anyway, um, it's probably something like that. And, um, 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 oh yeah. So to talk about for fun, uh, like how some of like the, in- the cults, these cults inspire themselves, um, each other similar to like how serial killers, uh, do, um, yeah, uh, I'm sure, uh, plenty of your listeners will probably be familiar with the idea, uh, like the, all of, um, how Hubbard, uh, L. Ron Hubbard was hanging out with, uh, Jack Parsons, which is, um, uh, he was a famous follower of Crowley and also one of the rocket scientists that, uh, developed nasa into what we know it as today uh he started jpl which eventually steamrolled into nasa and uh very brilliant guy but also very crazy and uh this was around the time when crowley was still alive so they were uh they had correspondence with alistair crowley himself and this was before hubbard created scientology so he got into all of this thelemic occult sex magic and hubbard and parsons were even at one point trying to on record because uh, like from letters that people have now and have since been published um they were trying to uh what's the word bring into existence for lack of more specific term uh the moon child which is basically supposed to be the real life version of rosemary's baby um and uh when crowley in in another letter um that crowley like crowley was eventually commenting on it and he said that they were idiots and even no matter how hard they tried, they weren't going to be able to do it. But, um, and, uh, I guess it's certainly debatable whether or not it's even possible, but it just shows you how deeply invested they all were in it. And Hubbard eventually, um, stole Jack Parsons lady and, uh, left. And like basically with all that knowledge he got from hanging out with Parsons and Crowley formed Scientology. Um, and then, um, uh, you talk about inspiration um, there were two big time cult leaders that came, uh, out of Scientology. The first one being, um, uh, Charles Manson. Uh, he, he was never like a formal Scientologist, but you know, er- everyone pretty much knows by now that Charles Manson, like in Laurel Canyon, he was, you know, hanging out with Dennis Wilson and Neil Young commented on his music. Uh, like he was around, he was one of the low-level guys trying to make it big that all the people who had made it big were like oh yeah that's charlie and the girls and etc um so uh he was definitely around the whole scientology thing he heard about uh, that kind of stuff uh and he incorporated that um into his manipulation tactics and also there is this will tie us back into a little bit of serial killers and satanism a little bit um it inspired what many conspiracy theorists will recognize as the process church of the final judgment. Um, the, uh, I can't remember their original name, but they ended up changing their name. Two followers of Scientology left and changed their last name to de Grimston and, um, uh, ended up forming the process church of the final judgment where they had this whole like similar, like heaven's gate style idea where the Christian gods were, extra dimensional aliens and uh that you could meditate with them and actually form these links with like these physical extra dimensional beings and it was a uh, borderline very alchemical like a with a really bad cherry on top that twists the whole thing where it's this whole yin and yang kind of thing 
which is all well and good. Uh, but instead of taking away, instead of the takeaway being balance, their takeaway was um, we need to uh, create as much evil and anarchy as we do good. Um, and so that, that kind of, uh, morphs them into this type of like pseudo apocalyptic kind of thing. And, um, there's a whole thing, this will get down a, a little bit of a rabbit hole, um, uh, where the, you get down the conspiracy theory route a little bit. Um, not because any of this is, um, unsubstantiated, but, um, it's a network. It's like the classic thing the, what, that you envision with the, the detective with the cork board and all the strings. Um, some, and, uh, you know, because what this, what this relates to is the, uh, David Berkowitz and the son of Sam in, uh, murders. And, uh, um, this is something that I have, I'm not a primary source for, but I have a little bit of experience with because when I was still doing the journalism, like, like five years ago at this point, um, I came in contact with, I was very curious in the idea of like, there were still a lot of primary sources and a little bit of hubbub about this idea that Berkowitz was involved with these cults. And so I started contacting people just almost to challenge it, like to see I was, I, I cause I kind of thought that this might fall apart as soon as I talked to any of the investigators, I talked to people who actually opened up the son of Sam case, some of the detectives. And then I talked to, um, um, some of the, the filmmakers and some of the people who worked closely with the investigator, Maury Terry that compiled, uh, the book ultimate evil that went into how, um, um, not only David Berkowitz was involved with the process church, but also allegedly Charles Manson was as well. Um, and that's all incorporated into the book, the ultimate evil. And, um, so, uh, Maury Terry's dead now, but I've talked to people who knew him very, very well. Uh, I've talked to a couple different people as well as a couple different law enforcement people. And, um, um, while you could argue that the, you could argue some of the semantics like the book goes into a lot of different stuff and speculates about their rituals and all these different things. You know, some of that some of those semantics might um, not may or may not be true, but ultimately they're moot. They're unnecessary to the overall point. And the overall point being that um, in New York um, uh, during the Son of Sam murders and before and after there was a high level uh, New York City, especially a high level of cult um, it's like sacrificial activity. Um, and the people who are still associated with the process church have come out, obviously denying these allegations. And, um, um, the, I, I think it's very obvious from the data that even if the process church themselves were not involved with, um, uh, these sacrifices and even like, uh, occult, uh, murders, uh, which were like hits and sacrifices for different reasons, um, they were involved with the people who were, and I do think the process church was involved with, with these more nefarious things. If, and if anything, they left some of their members in the dark, but this gets into a lot of different stuff where like on record, when you talk to some of the officers, uh, often these cults use biker gangs like hell's angels and others like Satan. uh, uh, I can't remember the others, but, um, 
uh, there's multiple, and they they're used as like enforcers uh, for these cults a lot. And sometimes, in some cases, these uh, these cults um, are involved with um, human trafficking and drug running um, um, on record, um, like from the like. See, that's the thing is like. Um, when you talk to actual primary sources, they can confirm that these things do exist, um, but it's not – it's hard to follow up on, like what, how far it goes, and um, the, they, these people have a good way of hiding their trail. And um, it, 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 see, these are the things that became fodder for the, the shit that we see today, like QAnon, these kernels of truth that have become extrapolated um, and – like bastardized essentially um but um and you know to to you know wrap this up uh, a little bit just like this portion um uh berkowitz uh talking about serial killers he actually um in if some people are probably will be familiar with the netflix bit um mind hunter where it's based off of uh, the actual fbi profilers and the real conversations they had with these serial killers and there's a famous bit where they're talking to um, Berkowitz and uh, Berkowitz eventually breaks down and admits that it was um, he was just like trying to drum up attention and stuff and the fact of the matter is that when you look into the evidence um, like Maury Terry for example um, he was well aware he was following up on all this cult stuff long before Berkowitz even mentioned it um, so there's a lot of evidence that speaks to this whole scenario without the hype that Berkowitz put into it. And that's what a lot of people forget is that I don't I definitely don't think that the FBI profilers were were full of crap or making stories up. But I think that Berkowitz just about he was so brainwashed. I think that uh, he just about told anybody whatever they wanted uh, so he could get some sort of gratification because uh, that's that just is what the record seems to show. And fun fact now, Berkowitz has come full circle and he's back to the beginning um, of his of his uh, variety of stances where he thinks that he was full-blown possessed by demons and he's now supposedly, I don't buy it, uh, obviously, but he's a converted Christian and he's doing this whole New Age cult thing where essentially, if you look at it from our perspective, he's trying to embody the uh the type of cult leader that brainwashed him so thoroughly and he's considering himself some people actually buy this in the christian community and go so far as to call him like a like some sort of meta disciple they don't quite say that but they actually use the word uh like new disciple type thing like that he's um someone who had their body uh or their life kind of like sacrificed for the greater scheme in order for people to understand the deeper lessons of evil. And it's like, I, you know what? I, uh, I don't buy any of it, but, uh, if, even if that is true and he's very genuine now, um, that's not some sort of excuse. That's, that's one of the weird Christian mentalities that I can't, uh, get that. I, I, I won't be able to accept is, uh, yes, pe- everyone is redeemable. Um, but, in some sense, like a, a, a person can turn themselves around and start to do good again, I think, uh, mostly. If, but there are some psychopaths out there uh, who won't ever turn themselves around. And uh, 
um, that that whole Christian sentiment makes it real easy for the wolves to hide in sheep's clothing. And I think Berka, which is obviously a, a wolf. Um, so, yeah, a, a, a bit of um, rabbit hole material for people there. <laughs> so often when they use the word cult, it's negative. So, but why do they, because the only positive usage of that word I can think of is cult film. Right? Yeah, it's used uh, definitely positively in art, and that's about it. But but I guess that they reference it more as a, a cultural film, but they say cult film is weird What, what that they use that term. You know, these days, the uh, the cult, the idea of the cult has to be a lot more nuanced because... You know, back in the days of Manson and Jones, uh, they were the prototype. Um, the, they were the first of their kind in the in in the the style that they that they did it in. And uh, and so people these days, you know, you do have like that Jesus of Siberia guy. Like he has a I, I'm not like an expert, but he has a full blown Christian cult out there in Siberia where um, we're very similar in many ways to. Um, heaven's gate there's not as much of a emphasis on ufos but but he does incorporate ufos and he touches on all the hot button topics that'll get a layman interested and but he is literally jesus um in his eyes like he wears the the robe and he grows his hair out and the beard in a certain way and um classic cult leader action through and through so there are those those things still going on, you know, Teal Swan, Jay-Z night. Um, but a lot of times these days, um, the, the cult has to be a lot more nuanced. Like, you know, you, we, we, we talked, we mentioned QAnon a little bit. Um, as far as I'm concerned at that, at this point, that seems to be bordering, or it seems to be at this point, the, uh, a radical political cult in the same way that, um, the the utmost far furthest left you could get with this bizarre like quote unquote wokeness uh the like radical nonsense um um it's uh it's two sides of a radical coin and they're both just as bad and uh they it seems to me that radicalization goes hand in hand with dogma um for whatever reason and that whenever people start to get specifically radicalized they really get ramped up on their dogma and they get on their high horse and once once that happens you can't talk anybody down from it and that seems to be um um perhaps that is another defining line between a cult and a religion uh because um I don't know. It's tough to say um, because even uh, the average, right? Because that's like a common idea in um, a traditional religion is that whatever religion you're in is the only right one. Um, but I guess that that might be that's what blurs the lines, I guess, because um, that's one of the biggest common denominators between religions and cults is this convincing um, that this group that you belong to is the only one that has the answer and that if you if you find any truth outside of this group it's 
concealed truth given to you by the arch evil. Uh, yeah, it is all head game nonsense. There's a great book uh, that's called Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds by uh, Charles Mackay. And uh, it goes through, uh, it's, it's an old book, so it, miss, it's, it came out, I think, in the middle of the 19th century. So it doesn't have the modern ones, but it has old ones. It's not really cults, but it's more in the style of QAnons of, of, of his time. Uh, where uh, people went into... There was like one case I remember was there was this, uh, you know, the flower, the tulip. There was like uh, some sort of mass hysteria of everybody wanting a tulip and it reached a point that the tulips uh, were finished, like there was no more to buy, which created the first ever economic bubble of tulips and the... and everything crashed the economy in Holland crashed and it was like stuff like that and it, it's all mass hysteria and um, you can see it like with the QAnon you can also see it uh, in a sense with the, the uh, this covid thing how countries react very different and uh, also with um, uh, you know like a bit in the past but with the uh, red scare and that, that kind of thing. Mhm. Yeah, absolutely. Um yeah, very good point. Um and um you know, speaking of um um cults and uh and serial killers, uh, I thought this would be a fun one to bring up because um it's another one that has contributed to the stereotypical um, satanic panic kind of idea uh, because this was a very real thing that happened and it seems like it would be straight out of like a horror comic book or something um, but it's uh, uh so it's I'm sure some people are familiar with it the the uh, Adolfo Constanzo and the uh, the narco satanists over there in uh, uh Oh, I can't remember how to pronounce it, but it was in Mexico. And um, they were not involved with the highest echelons of like the cartel that you would think of. But in terms of um, successful and uh, highly profitable uh, drug running, um, they were involved with cartels, uh, drug cartels in Mexico uh, and like families that were uh, prominent uh, criminal families, um, and, uh, like (laughs) doing black magic for them. And, um, uh, he had this, it, it's a very weird amalgamation of all the topics that we've talked about, um, um, with, with, with cults and serial killers and, and everything in between, um, like new age in there and, and Satanism. And you see, they practice this form of, uh, like Caribbean folk magic, which is, uh, uh, called, um, Palo and the specific kind that they practice was called Palo Mayombe. And these are very similar to, um, uh, voodoo and Santeria. And, um, uh, so in, in the sense that it's old Island magic that, uh, used basically transferred when they were, uh, uh, industrialized and like colonized, 
in order to continue practicing these things, they kind of transferred their um, their iconography and ideology and that, like meshed it with the Christian stuff. Uh, but it wasn't in order to actually incorporate the Christian elements. Um, and I mean, more power to them. That's uh, uh, I respect it. It's like guerrilla, like G E U, like guerrilla warfare, like spirituality. Um, so, but um, so Paulo Mayombe is uh, is a very um, uh, like grimy, grisly, uh, gory uh, spiritual practice. Um, and what Adolfo Constanzo and his group of like six or so other people were doing was very evil and nefarious while they didn't consider it Satanism. They were not worshiping Satan. But actual uh, Palo Mayombe is something that people know about today and can be talked about but in terms of the specifics, the, the 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 real details of the initiatory rites and all the the fine points of their rituals and these things, the, the people don't really know even still. And um, but so even the the not nefarious uh, aspects of 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 this um, of Paulo Mayombe is very gory, and it has to do with creating as a lot of sacrifices with animal blood and. Um, um, it's like it's necromancy essentially, but not in like the fantasy sense where people think of necromancy as animating a dead body. Um, it's not like that, but more in, in, in like real world in people who actually believe in these things and practice them necromancy. No one's going to be able to reanimate an actual dead body. It is the idea of taking the um, preserved almost like catatonic like energy of a corpse and releasing that in ceremony and what they do is they take all these different uh gore elements and put it into a cauldron like classic like weird like witchcraft stuff that you would think of and they um um but most like the regular uh, pra practitioners are not sacrificing people um, and it's not meant to be an evil thing, even though it's very far outside of uh, Western tradition. And it seems very taboo to these people who haven't twisted it to the vast majority of them. It's um, is similar to this Mexican idea of like Day of the Dead and like paying homage to your ancestors and these things. But it comes across to people um, from the outside who don't understand it very uh, disturbing. I mean, uh, to me, regardless, it's disturbing. Um, but there is uh, that context in there. And, um, interestingly enough, this is, uh, uh, this is actually something that, uh, because of its, you know, celebrities are interested in exclusivity and these kinds of things, even with the esoteric and, um, you know, you see things with Scientology and Madonna had the Kabbalah bracelet for a long time. There's uh, Jay-Z had the do what thou wilt T-shirt uh, in the famous photo. So obviously interested in esotericism. And um, some of them celebrities are interested in Paolo Mayombe. And um, there's a rapper that I don't listen to, but it's very popular. She's uh, her name is Azalea Banks. And she recently got in trouble um, in the news because she is a practitioner of Paolo Mayombe, and she actually fed her dead cat, already dead, not sacrificed. Um, and I mean, I believe that, but I guess she could have sacrificed it for all we know. But point is, she gave it to her cauldron, which is called the Nganga. 
and it's um it's this whole idea of like similar to an uh, an I don't know all the fine points of this also I'm not an expert but it's similar to uh, when you're feeding it this uh, essential energy uh, from uh, from uh, like or you know of once living material um, it's cr- it's attracting um, and creating something like an like an egregor or an atulpa or a tulpa um, where it you're developing this relationship with uh, this primordial even like ancestral um, um, like it, uh, very 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 reminiscent of like a pagan idea um, like naturalized primordial forces and um, um, and so this uh, it's all it's a very interesting rabbit hole um, um, and uh, in terms of this uh, this serial killer and his uh, little sect, it was basically like a small black magic new age cult of like five or six people that were all primed and actively serial killing. It was so, and they were drug running. It was a very dangerous concoction, um, and they were very good at it. And it is disturbing if uh, uh, looking into the details of it. Um, and when feeding their inganga, they their whole thing was. And this guy Adolfo Constanzo, um, he grew up in Miami, um, and he was trained by this weird, um, like his mother was really into Palo Mayombe, and um, she knew this guy who practiced this very dark version of Palo Mayombe, which is essentially, you know, there's no Satan involved, but it, it, it basically equals out to Satan where it's this domination thing and this acquiescence of fear and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, basically serial killer spirituality, like he was literally primed for it. And, uh, and so during those rituals and stuff, and this seems to be with things like the process church and whatever, um, because the process church back in New York city at that time, they were sacrificing a lot of German shepherds, um, on record you can find a lot of sacrifice, like clearly sacrificed German shepherds um, that the police were looking into. And uh, before I get back into Adolfo Constanzo, I just have to add the uh, the aside for anyone interested. These days, also on record, the remains of the Process Church of the Final Judgment have formed the Best Friends Animal... Uh, what, what do you call it? Best Friends Animal... My brain wants to say cemetery, but it's not that. It's uh, like rescue or something. Best Friends Animal Center. Oh, man. But you, you'll find it and um, if you Google that. And they like specialize in German shepherds, like not exclusively, but primarily. And so that's also very gross and weird. And um, I don't know what this means. I'm not drawing any conclusions, but it is true, and it's very odd. But the Obamas bought their dog uh, from the Best Friends Animal Center uh, run by – these uh, longtime process church members. So weird stuff. But uh, back to Constanzo. So they, 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 this is this recurring theme where in these weird cult uh, radical uh, groups, evil black magic groups, it's the they're drawing out the fear of you. They want you to be as terrified as possible. Um, Constanzo would sharpen his machetes in front of the people before he went through with it. And um um, he would, uh, he would like l- 
literally this is this is as far as I'll go because uh, I don't want to get into details or horrify people too much. But he would literally feed like brains to his nganga, and um, the way he got caught um, ultimately was he ended up doing this to a uh, an American college student who was there on spring break. How terrifying is that? Just going to hang out for spring break in Mexico and you are sacrificed to a Mexican Satanist cult of serial killers. Um, so but but eventually that kid, he had family, you know, uh, he wasn't just going to disappear off the map like they were doing with their other people. Uh, so they were eventually caught and it was a whole thing. And uh, funny story uh, end to that bit um, is that a part of how they were caught. Um, like in addition to people following up on this kid was they were so convinced that they had this like limitless power from how much they had fed their nganga that one of them, uh, apparently like the very dumb one of, of the whole group, <laughs> the one that everyone would just kind of like pat on the head and like, out a boy, like get out of here kind of thing. Um, he, he took their, I think everyone was smart enough to realize that because this Nganga was supposed to make them like invincible and invulnerable and like essentially gods on earth um, as far as you could take that. And because they were taking the power from their, from their victims in, uh, at life force, etc. And um, so they thought that um, they would be um, untouchable to law enforcement and things. And everyone else took this as like a more nuanced idea of like, Yes, you still have to be cautious, but this is like a some sort of like blanket protection kind of thing. But this one guy took it a bit too literally. And um, uh, when uh, police started chasing him because he like ran a like a, I think he ran a red light or something. Um, uh, it was something along those lines. Uh, he just thought that once he got back, he's like, well, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to drive to back to our secret hideout because once I get there. I will be like I'll cross the threshold and become invisible and they'll be thrown off. And uh, obviously that didn't happen. The police got there and shut the whole thing down. <laughs> uh, but how the police came and interacted with the Ngong, they ended up most of them got away. Um, they were like caught eventually, but there's a whole thing involved. And uh, and so there was a period of time where constanzo and some of the others had gotten away but the police were there with the nganga and how the police interact with that thing is uh hilarious because they're uh, and understandable but funny uh they're so afraid of curses uh that they are just so afraid to touch the thing and they like literally burn down the whole complex to try and get rid of the nganga but it's in a cauldron so obviously it's not going to burn down so so the the whole complex burns down it's still it's sitting there and they're just like oh my god what are we going to do and eventually they just got to take it and dump it all that decomposing organic sludge like ugh. so um this like cult originated from like the congo and through with the slaves to cuba and from cuba onward if it's paulo maombe yes yeah i um i couldn't speak um i don't know if it came from the congo or not that could definitely be true but i don't know that part but i know it definitely from cuba onward for sure um no it, it i know it, it started in the congo and then uh, it was brought uh, the slaves were the ones who brought it from the congo 
right next to Congo is the country of Gabon. And in Gabon, you have the Bewiti who are doing the uh, Iboga rituals and the Iboga ceremonies. And do you know what the shaman of the Bewitis are called? Uh, Is called an Anganga. Oh, interesting connection. And in fact, uh, that is also my title. Because if you go through a ceremony, um, I'll have to look up in my records. I can't remember the name now. But before you do an iboga ritual, you have you're called something. I can't remember what you're called. But once you've taken it in a ritual setting, because it takes a week, you are bec- you you're called an nganga. But the problem is that some idiot westerners think that oh now I'm a, an nganga so now I now I can become now I can hold ceremonies that's it's more complicated than that so uh, basically it's just the same name as for the shaman doing it but it doesn't mean I am a shaman it just means I've I'm on e- uh, equal footing with the nganga but I'm not like a shaman whatever you call it so it's a bit complicated. But some Westerners got confused with it and thinking like, oh, now I've got a PhD. <laughs> they don't. And I remember like uh, that uh, they, uh, the Nganga I, I was with, he had like, they tattoo how many times they've done it on their arm. And he'd only done it three times. And I was like, well, the the curanderos in the Amazon they've done it like hundreds of times so it's like three times and you're like a a shaman that's ridiculous but after my first and only ceremony I've done it's like one time it's like way like three times I can't even imagine the difficulty like one time was like it felt like a hundred ayahuasca ceremonies in a sense like it was it was much more intense in that sense but I'm thinking that maybe that uh, because in the old days Congo and Gabon was basically the same country, so maybe those words crossed over. And also the uh, the Bewitis, not where I did my ceremonies because they were traditional, but I also went to a church because the Bewiti has mixed in the Catholicism to avoid uh, persecution. So there was this Iboga church, and it was all Catholic. Uh, it was very weird and they had like Catholic ropes and things but they were like eating iboga and having these psychedelic rituals uh, with their head priest, the Nganga, you know. Very fascinating. Yeah, that um, that's something that I'll have to look into more. Yeah, because I only, I have looked into voodoo a bit uh, out of interest and um, I know a very cursory amount, uh, like a very surface level knowledge of Santeria and um I only know I've only since uh been looking into uh like Palo and um Palo Mayombe since um uh learning of Adolfo Constanzo so yeah there definitely uh, for sure is some sort of crossover there and it would be really fascinating to um look into that more and find uh whatever traces in history you could of of the split in the uh, the definition there, because it seems to have the same running theme of like this sort of um, um, 
in one form or another a sacrifice of energy in order to like commune with a higher power of some degree um so that's very interesting yeah yeah you do they uh, do sacrifice and they have they don't do it anymore they they recycle the animal so uh, but they do dress you in animal skin but uh, in the old days they killed the animal for you but now they like use the same skin for every person you know to because they've mainly because like people from Europe like what you know you don't have to kill an animal for me you know like but um I guess uh, if they do it amongst themselves, they maybe they kill this animal that they used to dress you up in. But uh, I think the one in Mexico that you were talking about is like some sort of corrupt version of something that was way different from the beginning in the Congo. Because the Bewiti, uh, the Iboga culture is not uh, like dark in any sense. Yeah, um, I don't know all of the history, um, but um, like, yeah, definitely Adolfo Constanzo was practicing a very uh, specifically warped version. Um, but as far as I understand it, even the less nefarious um, uh, versions of um, Apollo Mayombe still do that whole um, cauldron and ganga sort of thing. Uh, but it, it would seem that um uh it ju- just kind of judging off of uh, this conversation here that that split probably really happened uh once it got to the islands um more so than um uh when it was entrenched in um iboga culture yeah or or, or maybe that word is just something that means something that we don't understand that they use for something because <laughs> it's the same word absolutely because even uh the people who really know this stuff um if you're from an outside perspective you don't know it all um um even more so than uh, today, things like Freemasonry, you know, Freemasonry still has its secrets, but you can go online and find all of their esoteric books like uh, these things. You can find all of Albert Pike and Manly P. Hall, um, etc. So you can find all of their tradition, how Masons hide today uh, for the for, for the most part is um, uh they keep their they keep the specificity and the context of their symbols um hidden with disinformation i mean even like a a non-nefarious mason will admit this that and i don't think that this is even really nefarious it's kind of like if you want to even in the day and age of the internet and you you just want to look at our text you still have to do some sort of work um um so, but point being that to, with things like uh, the Palo Mayombe and a, a lot of this uh, like island magic and uh, Native American uh, like mysticism and and tradition, um, uh, basically like indigenous peoples' uh, religious and mystical rites today are some of the last thresholds of things that we still just genuinely do not understand as a outside culture. And they keep it like that for a reason. And and they're good at it. You know, that's uh, I got uh, a couple more things that we can talk about in terms of cults in the modern day a little bit. Um, while we're 
while we're dancing around this topic and um one being not trying to throw too much shade here but um i mean uh, just to you know call out the elephant in the room especially with things like heaven's gate and you know the jesus of siberia guy um among many others uh, there is definitely a threshold of ufos and new age and cults and this is uh this is a dangerous thing as well uh because in the same way that cults and religions are playing off this inherent need to belong to something but also be part of the inner circle like in the know you're kind of given this magical way of thinking by being in the know um uh, the, the the ufo community does the same thing and it's uh and uh, anyone who's familiar with me will know that you know i've seen ufos like genuine ufos things that are unidentified and cannot be identified and i've done things that you know like 90 degree angle turns in the sky uh, i've seen things low to the ground uh but never anything um no like aliens or like uh, other than the 90 degree angle that I saw once like flying faster than a shooting star I saw like no physics bending or anything like that but still very weird and certainly what I would classify as a traditional UFO sighting um, and I've done research into these things out of curiosity so I'm not dissuading people from the basic premise but there are several flaws with the UFO community today uh, first off a big one being the idea and this plays into satanic panic so this is food for thought for a lot of this conversation this whole idea of false memory syndrome where people using yes hypnosis is a very real psychological science um, that is very data driven but like anything else it can be warped into new age sort of ways and from the beginning uh back when like in you know like 60s and 70s when people were still trying to figure out what all hypnosis was capable of it was easier to bend those barriers uh of fact and fiction with without even really trying to and um when you look into things like the betty and barney hill case with ufos and also a lot of quote-unquote satanic cult victims um and even the uh travis walton case the classic fire in the sky ufo case all these people went to hypnotherapists and they in a lot of cases like i obviously can't speak for every single one but in a lot of cases um even well, I, I would even say the majority of them they go to hypnotherapists that are already specifically interested in whatever subject it be either satanism or ufos or even like past life regression I'm not even saying that reincarnation isn't a possibility. Like, if I had to bet money on it, that would be my best guess as to what happens afterward. But even this whole idea of regressing people um, and learning ideas about past lives, um, it's here's the thing about hypnotic regression is um, unless you have, like, the easiest way for me to explain it is. Like for anyone that's seen the movie Inception, great movie, um, uh, even with all the hype. And when DiCaprio spinning the 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 like the 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 toy top and let it spin, 
Um, it's his way of finding out if it doesn't topple over and just keeps going. That's how he knows he's in a dream. Because sometimes when you start dabbling with this stuff so much, it just inherently blurs the lines. And um, and so when you're doing hypnotic regression, it's the same thing generally. Like if you don't have some sort of they called it in that movie a totem. If you don't have some sort of material, it doesn't have to be like literally like an object like that. But if you don't have some sort of tether to the material realm um, in ways that you can quantify this story, then it's basically nothing more than a dream. And it can be useful. It's not that it's throwaway, but it's not empirical data. It's not at all. Um, and and for the record, uh, what something like hypnotic regression these days is most empirically useful for is regressing people to memories that they already have and then um, helping them form new relationships to those memories. And that helps a lot of catharsis and getting over a lot of trauma. So it's not like you can't really uncover uh, memories with hypnosis. You can't theoretically, but again, it's so, um, even that's debatable. And again, if you don't have a tether of some way, there's no way to know for sure. So you're, so it becomes a question of faith and belief. And then you're automatically outside of the realm of empiricism and, and, and data. And so those are, and then you get into like cult territory. Um, and so a lot of UFOs, bring it back to that point a lot of uh, these classic ufo cases start with um hypnotic regression and honestly i won't get into specific cases but i'm not even saying that specific cases are total bullshit um because i do think that there's a paranormal aspect to these things in many cases so while so in um in in a certain case like with travis walton I'm much more I, I don't necessarily even think that anything happened to Betty and Barney Hill. Um, that's just my opinion. And with Travis Walton, it seems like something could have happened because he disappeared for a period of time. And, uh, and I don't think any of those guys were lying. Um, um, and uh, it seems like a, a paranormal, a weird paranormal thing that happened, like a classically Fortean thing. Um, and then they went to a hypnotherapist and if, I remember correctly, I'm I'm quite certain that that hypnotherapist was already interested in ufology. And so he kind of gave them the vocabulary and then uh, and then they ran with it from there. And so it becomes it kind of becomes mythologized. Um, so and it seems to be that just like if, uh, as for some additional interest, it seems that that is very similar to how. Um, cases of like demonic possession in these days operate is there's like this reciprocal two-way street of um, like a suspension of disbelief and I do think that there's a possibility of um, there being some legitimate paranormal circumstances to these different things but um, there has to be like some sort of like metacognitive agreement um, between um, like practitioners if uh, you could say in order to uh, like a common denominators in ways of thinking in order to actually get anywhere and and in some cases even bring things into existence. Um, but, uh, you know, with with ufology these days and disclosure seems very I'm completely turned off by it uh, because um, it seems very much to me like with ufologists waiting at the gates for the government, just chomping at the bit for the government to. Uh, give them whatever 
bits and detail they can. It seems copy paste to me like uh, a subservient class of people waiting on a priest class to tell them what to do. Um, I hate to be so divisive, but that's really how it seems to me. And um, and I don't think that there's any reason to trust uh, these people in power, uh, especially uh, when given uh, the discussion of UFOs. So, I've had uh, I've had two uh, encounters, and both can be brushed away easily by me and by anybody who hears them. And the the first one is that when I was really young, I swear to God, I have this really strong memory of seeing a spaceship in the forest. But my explanation of that is my. It could be a memory of an imagine of imagination, but it was so long ago that I can't, uh, I can't, you know, know which one is the truth of of that. And uh, I'm too paranoid to go to hypnotist, but so I usually think it's just a a memory. But you know, you never know if they you know, men in black to me or something like that. And uh, the other one is very easy to brush off is because I, I took some, I took mushrooms, but it was very different than any other thing I'd seen on mushrooms because I, uh, I saw this alien creature and uh, it was one of the few cases where I actually was immersed in a 360 world I never had that on mushrooms before or since, but I, I, for a brief moment, I was in this world fully, and it was a, it was also a forest, and it just stood there, and I, I was so shocked, because I wasn't alone. So I, I pointed and I said, "Look, there's an, an alien creature right there." Like, I was so, it was so realistic, uh, but. You know, Terence McKenna said that's that's the way they arrive. <laughs> you know, so who knows? Right. Yeah. There's this like trickster aspect to them, uh, to this unexplainable phenomena. Whether even with like cryptids or especially UFOs, um, um, where they have, it's like, if you want to be existentialist about it, obviously these things are happening, but. Do you have to uh, question the ontology of it? Like, from what level is it happening? How objective versus subjective is it? And that's like the very nature of these things is that if um, if they are sentient at all, that's one of these. That's one of the responses they're trying to elicit from you. Like, that's what that's what gets them. Um, that's what gets their jollies off. And um, if and that's also probably what helps bring them further into existence. Um, whatever the nature of that existence is. Um, and that's the difference I think between something like, um, a lot of unexplainable stuff that's just weird. Uh, and then something like that seems very sinister or demonic is some things play off the trickster quality where it seems like they're getting, they're pulling your leg and some things obviously directly feed off of your fear. It would appear. And then the things that you, you would, classically say a more divine feed off of or uh reciprocate because feed is more parasitic but uh engage with like your love aspects um and it at least from the the 
at the if nothing else from the standpoint of psychology and like the whole union sentiment all that's very valuable from an empirical level um but in terms of ufos um yeah you know so a lot of people talk about see, having those like really vivid kind of experiences with ufos on psychedelics and i definitely think that if we're being honest about it um we have to inc- we have to agree to um um like honestly, my perspective is, um, uh, I, like even with the UFOs and hypnosis, as well as UFOs with psychedelics, as long as we are, there's a there's a reason. Like with the Travis Walton case, and I think even with Betty and Barney Hill, there was some missing time. I think there was some paranormal weird stuff going on there. So as long as we can admit that there's something unexplainable going on, um, if UFOs becomes the conveyance of, of like the metacognitive link that uh, unlocks this key um i think that that is okay to use as a metric like a, as a psychological metric of description as long as we understand that that is not the only metric and where and because that's how you get sold on the cult mentality and waiting for flesh and blood literal machinery um at the uh just chomping at the bit, waiting for the carrot on the stick of the government, which is using this stuff as disinformation tactics. Granted, some of it's true, and if I'm being, uh, you know, as open-minded as possible, maybe there's a possibility that maybe some you there is like some quasi-trans-physical aspect to them. Um, you know, uh, possession um brings about weird physical anomalies. Um, I do think that there's some merit to the religious wounds you can find in the east and the west on different kinds of monks and things so i think that there can be a transphysical quality and maybe who knows if we're getting full-blown twilight zone here maybe um i think even jacques valet would speak to this um uh, that maybe there's some sort of like technology some dimensional technology that allows um uh like non-physical beings to piggyback off of our brainwaves and our imaginal complexes not imagination not imaginative made up but imaginal like the 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 inherent energy from it and granted that's pure speculation but if if there is any flesh and blood anything going on here that's that's my opinion on it and um um obviously on record we can find that the government loves to use ufos as a way to confuse people and to throw people off the trail of black budget technology and operations. That much is a given. Because in the last time we spoke about serial killers, we mentioned that the United States has more serial killers, it seems, than anybody else. But also with UFOs, it seems that, I mean, why do they travel across the galaxy and always mostly go to the United States? Uh, unless they want to create crop circles, then they go to England. So it's like very strange that they like have these regional. I mean, there's UFO sightings in all countries, but I mean, I think if you count, yeah, if if you count them, U.S. wins probably. I think you're right, um, and I really do think that speaks to the imaginal quality of uh, this energy, um, which uh, can really all, even like evolutionarily speaking can be traced back to like our evolutionary incorporation of the uh the biology that allows us to dream and that is pretty much the framework for metaphysics as we know it it was like that's the initial 
uh, opening point from which it all expanded from there. Um, um, so, but I've seen something. Uh, I've seen something that's not UFO. Uh, it's more culturally aligned with where I'm from, but it was on an equal scale, and it's not as easily easily brushed off. I think because where I live, we have a creature. Uh, I guess you could translate it as the fawn or as pan. Basically, it's the devil, but he's got a goat's hoof, and he he wears a suit. He's got a goatee, so it's it's it's, it's the devil, and he plays a violin. And uh, in the old days, he walked from town to town, and if you he played the violin so you you eventually you danced till you died and he took your soul or something like that. you can also make a deal with him and uh, but he looks a certain way and he's part of the folklore around these parts and when i was uh what well, could i have been at least 13 or something 12 13 years old so it's i was old enough to remember not unlike the other one where i was very young seeing a spaceship i is, could it be my imagination or not i don't know this one i remember it was not my imagination because i lived in an apartment that my kitchen window looked into the forest and i was just standing there looking into the forest and then i was like what is somebody sitting there so i looked a bit more like concentrated and i saw this uh, creature, this pan, whatever you call him in English, sitting le- cross-legged in the forest. And I remember like, uh, you know, sometimes when you see something and then you like shake your head and you look again and it's not there because it's just your mind playing tricks. I did that, but it, when after I did that, it was still there. And then it vanished. So it it it, it lingered longer and uh, it always stuck with me. And I don't know if that is the power of the brain because I did I did have an interest in those in that mythology and that not like I was thinking about it daily, but uh, you know it was somewhere in my subconscious. If it was a projection, I don't know. I uh, but uh, he did. Oh wait a minute! I'm actually realizing something now. <laughs> talking about it, uh, so yeah, I was twelve. I was fairly innocent at that time. So then I had like ten years of problems through the teenage years, like you know, as you do. I remember now in an ayahuasca ceremony that then second I've seen it again. The second time I saw it, well, I don't, I don't understand why I haven't connected this before. But the second time I saw it was in an ayahuasca ceremony. And I saw a vision of inside my ear. And this creature was sitting inside my ear, whispering stuff. And I remember I was laughing at it. Because I was the reason I was laughing was that, oh, you can whisper all you like. I'm not listening. You know, like that. So it was a very empowering vision. Like, uh, it was trying to make me do things. But because of the ayahuasca thing, I was so empowered that it could whisper whatever... It, we just waste your time, you know, waste your time as much as you like. But it's that kind of classical image of the devil and the angel on your uh, in, in cartoons on the side of your head, you know, whispering things like that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that that's how this kind of stuff happens. You know, I think um, um, my 
my guess from the data, uh, you know, my my best like hypothesis would be that our brains initially project and it's like a two way street through the projection. It's like almost some for lack of better term, you know, just to make like a comparison, like a magnetic attraction, like Jacques Vallée called like completing a circuit of some kind and allowing something that is uh, autonomous and potentially even sentient to like letting a vampire in, like you're opening the door and allowing them to come in by like almost giving an offering of your imaginal energy. Um, and that also lends to a lot of like chaos magic, chaos theory kind of uh, sentiments as well. Um, so I think that there's some merit to that and certainly to your experiences um, with that pan uh, and uh, like slash Satanist kind of uh, entity there. Um, and, uh, you know, just to wrap this all up, because I know we've been going for a while, uh, I really wanted to say uh, just very briefly um, that – uh, you're just like a cherry on top of this whole thing. Uh, people, you know, these days housewives are talking about Illuminati, uh, like conspiracy theory is so mainstream. And, um, I think people, obviously people get swept up in it way too much and people forget about the fact that cults, um, uh, have, they've always been around, uh, the radical cults and they naturally inspire one another, um, oftentimes. And, the common denominator with something like Illuminati um, is really not um, a multi-thousand-year conspiracy, um, and it's certainly not uh, something promoted by reptilian aliens or Anunnaki. It's money and power um, and the type of psychopaths that money and power attract. The common denominators are money and power and psychopathy. Uh, but, uh, so there are archetypal motifs here, but, um, getting into multi thousand year conspiracies in these things, you just don't need it to be that complicated in order to explain these things. And the more you get into cults and the history of cults, the more you see how there's a much more concrete, rational, Occam's razor sort of explanation to the esoteric and, Things like the priest class and power control, uh, c control matrixes and things. Cool. So if people want to check out your book, it's not about cults per se, but you can mention it. Yeah, yeah. No, it. Uh, I normally don't talk about cults. Um, I had one other conversation uh, with my friend Melissa over on the Deep Program podcast. Um, but while the premise is the same, we actually I made sure to go into quite a bit of different material here so anyone could check out that as well but other than that i really don't go into cults too much um or really at all especially in dive manual um but all the subject matter cults aside all the same uh, if you want empirical approaches to mysticism and the difference between subjective and objective sanity and insanity and what it means to uh look into metaphysics and mysticism in a era of skepticism and rationality um then i recommend checking out dive manual uh you can find it on amazon you can also check out my website it's um all lowercase divemind.net or you can find me on twitter if you really want to stir up a dialogue um all lowercase divemind 667 um always fun and down to talk about this stuff um and that's pretty much it um 
I hope listeners got something out of this because we live in a day and age where the regular cult, the Jones style uh, cult might not be as prevalent as it is, but these, the cult mentality and the cult sentiments and even something you could say like a meta cult, uh, like a cult in between the lines is as prevalent as it's ever been, if not more. And we need to be on the lookout for this stuff and we need to practice self-empowerment. It's good to have tradition and it's good to have uh, be altruistic and like focus on like greater powers like outside of you. But we need to practice self-empowerment and not let something like priest class take that power away from us or cult leaders. Cool. Thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah. Thank you so much, Alex. Uh, it's a pleasure as always. I look forward to our, uh, our uh, future correspondence. Yeah. And take care to all the listeners. Don't forget to check out Anthony's site, divemind.net, or get his book, The Dive Manual, Empirical Investigations of Mysticism. By the way, if you enjoy the podcast, but you feel you want to listen to more podcasts because I don't release enough episodes, perhaps this will be something you would enjoy. Project Archivist is a podcast that takes a look at the world of the wonderful, the weird, and the strange. Not always paranormal, but always different. Join us as we take a look at the weird world around us through guest interviews and roundtable discussions. You can find our show at www.projectarchivist.com, on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, or any place that you can find podcasts. There is a Finnish song called Levan Polka that was covered by Bilal Görgen. He's a Turkish busker. And this cover turned into the famous cat vibing meme. But besides all that, the song itself is kick-ass in my opinion. And we close with that song. Freedom is in the mind.